Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. It's a good thing for us to be here. This, David said, I was glad. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I always love it. Love the house of God. Love the gathering of God's people. Amen. So I want us to take our Bibles and go to the book of 2 Corinthians and um, chapter something. <laughs> chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse 10 here in just a moment. But I want to ask Brian Triber uh, to come up for just a moment and uh, announce something that his ministry has coming up this Saturday. There you go, sir. Um, we're going to be doing Prophetic in the Marketplace this Saturday here at One Cause Church. And what we're going to be doing is training people how to receive from God a prophetic word and how to deliver it in the marketplace where you live and breathe. It's one of these things like I work at Home Depot, and so I get in contact with a lot of people. And I have prayed for people, saw them healed, given them words. But if you do it the wrong way, you could get fired. Okay? So based on... My experience in things that we're doing, I'm bringing a guy named Bill Yant in from um, the East Coast, a buddy of mine from San Antonio. We're going to train you how to hear God's voice, how to deliver the word, and how to do it without getting in trouble, okay? And how to bless people like Jesus when he went through the streets, he saw the woman at the well. Everybody else discarded her, but Jesus didn't. He went and prophesied over her, brought her healing, and started a revival in the town. Sure did. So I thank Pastor and everybody for letting me to say this. So thank you so much. That's, that's fantastic. And tell, tell us when it starts again. Oh, it starts this Saturday. It runs from, it's all day. It runs from 8.30 is when we're going to start. We're gonna, you're going to get a two-hour lunch to practice what we just taught you. Wow. Then we're going to come back and you're going to have testimony times of who you minister to. And then we're going to break at 3. And then at 6 o'clock, we're going to have you stand up here during, after praise and worship and minister healing to the body. And then we're going to turn it over to my friend that's going to take the service. And so that starts at 6 o'clock. And then 8.30 in the morning, awesome. we're going to start the teaching. Now, is there a website they can go to to get any yes. information? Yes. Our, our ministry is called Healing Outreach Center. So if you go on Facebook to Healing Outreach Center or to my website, healingoutreachcenter.org, and it will take you right through there, and you can click on it, and you'll see all the information that you need for that event right there. Awesome. Okay. The, the, the whole thing here, Pastor, is, is not only, I want to bless one cause, and we want people to know we're here mm -hmm. and to grow. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Praise Thank God. You. This Saturday. Woo! Get that. Yeah. yeah. And also, just to let you know, uh, some, uh, a new change that's taken place here with our youth ministry, with Thrive Youth Ministries, we are... Changing leadership, uh, Nathan and Heather, Pastor Nathan and Heather are, are um, going to be going in a different direction in ministry um, and uh, probably doing some traveling and things like that. They're still here with us, um, but they just felt the Lord leading them in a new direction, and, and we all really felt that, and so we've made the change, and Pastor Jeremiah and Maddie are going to be overseeing our teens as well as our young adults as they have, and so uh, we'll be giving you some more information about that. What's, what's going on and what that looks like, but we're going to be meeting more in a small group setting for a while, and so we're very excited about the new things that are happening for Thrive. And of course, camp's coming up this year and this summer, and we're very excited about that, as you saw 
some of the things that go on at YFN at Youth for the Nations, but I just want to say thank you to Nathan and Heather and uh, for the, the great ministry that you've brought to our kids and the seeds that you've sown. You've sown great seeds into your own future and your own, and your own ministry, and God has got great things in store for you. I'm convinced of that. Amen. Let's take our Bibles now, if we already didn't, and uh, we're going to start to read in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, but I thought this was kind of interesting, some definitions of words that you know, maybe some different definitions that will make the words a bit more interesting. The word egocentric, according to this definition, is a person who believes he is everything you know you are. magazine, a uh, bunch of printed pages that tell you what's coming in the next issue, (laughs) emergency numbers, police station, fire department, and places that deliver, opera, when a guy gets stabbed in the back and instead of bleeding, he sings, (laughs) buffet, a French word that means get up and get it yourself. Babysitter, a teenager who must behave like an adult so that the adults who are out can behave like teenagers. (laughs) Traffic light, apparatus that automatically turns red when your car approaches. (laughs) I try to get through that yellow before it turns red. Swimming pool, a mob of people with water in it. And tattoo, permanent proof of temporary insanity. Okay. <laughs> that was pretty good. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Will you guys have some fun with me today, huh? All right. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Without going to too much of what he's talking about here, because it's not the point of the sermon, Paul is talking about an individual who, if you read in, uh, in the previous book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, you'll read about in chapter 5 about a man who was, um, who was committing a terrible <laughs> uh, act. He had, he had uh, well, he was sleeping with his stepmother. All right, I'll just get right to the, the gore of it. And the church was like glorying in this new relationship, like this was okay. And so Paul said, no, 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 you don't. You don't condone those kinds of things. This is not good. He has his, 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 the scripture said that he had his father's wife, and that's awful. So he said, you need, to, you need to get this guy out of there. If he's not going to change, if he's not repentant, if this is something that he's fine with doing, you don't, you're not fine with that. You're the church. We don't act like that. We don't live like that. So you got to get that guy out of fellowship because that is going to start, that kind of behavior and that kind of thing is going to spread throughout. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. The, the cancer will spread. And so now, he says, get him out of here. Well, apparently, the man had repented. Somewhere along the way, when the church stood up and said, no, this ain't going to work, bud. Uh, and so he, <laughs> he apparently repented. So now Paul is writing in the second letter and saying, now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. So he's just helping bring a, a full renewal to, to this. And it's good news that the man changed. Uh, Verse 11, though, this is where we're going. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, I want you to notice something interesting in this passage, that he talks about forgiveness and if there is a 
a holding of a grudge or something towards someone that they've done to you, have said to you, have hurt you in some way, you have just set yourself up. Listen to me. You have just set yourself up to become bait. You've just set yourself up to be victimized by Satan and his devices and his schemes and his purposes. You don't have the luxury, my family. Christian, you don't have the luxury of ever holding a grudge against anyone. All right? That's the way the world acts. That's the way people who don't know God act, but that's not the way you act. Because you've been forgiven of all your sin. Right? You expect, you expect God to, to, to have forgiven all of your sins, right? How many of you expect that to, to be true, that his blood really did take away all your sins and God really did forgive you? How about the sins that you have yet to commit? You, you expect that you've got forgiveness for those? Then you have an expectation on you then to forgive those who have wronged you. Even as Christ, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you, so you forgive others, all right? So, amen. But this will, this will keep you from becoming bait. This will keep you from taking the bait of Satan. And he says, we're not ignorant of his devices. So this Ten Commandments of Ignorance series that we're in is something that we've got to look at today. Is That is, do not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Do not be ignorant of the devil's devices. Okay, because it, those devices are a, a perception or a thought that he'll put, he'll try to get to you. Uh, it, it's an evil purpose. And so it always happens in subtle way. The devil is, he's, he's crafty. All right, and so he has a way of how he entices us. And we're going to look at um, basically his MO, if you will, to help us be better aware of his schemes so that we don't fall victim to it. All right? Let's go. We got to start in the very first place, though, in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where we see the first time a man and a woman are tempted by the devil, and it has to do with the first man and first woman who were here, Adam and Eve. And so God creates Adam and Eve, and he's created the world and set everything up, and he tells them this. He tells Adam this. Before Eve comes around, he tells Adam this, and Adam later on got the news to Eve, and he said, of all the trees of the of, of the garden, you may freely eat. Now, isn't that awesome? Of all the trees, you may freely eat. You get all of them, except there's this one tree that's mine. You get all of them, and you can freely eat any of them, but I get one tree, and that tree's mine. And if you eat of that tree, you're surely going to die. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's not for you to eat. That's my tree. All right? How many think that's a fair deal? All right? You get all the trees of the earth, God gets one. Would you say that that's generous? Would you, huh? Would you say that that's abundance? Okay, now watch what happens. Genesis chapter 3 opens up, says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now think about this. Is that really how God worded it? God said, Of all the trees you may freely eat except one. But the, here's, here, here's the subtlety of Satan. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So he's not getting Eve to see the abundant supply that God has given, but what is he holding out on you, Eve? What is he, God's not telling you the whole thing. And you know what Eve does? 
She keeps listening. Right here, she should have stopped the conversation. Right here. Or where was Adam, first of all? Huh? He's acting like Osama bin Laden, hiding behind his wife. Because he's there. Adam's there. He's there. Because it says that she gave to her husband and he ate too. He's right there. Where's the man? Where are you, husband? Supposed to be protecting this woman that God gave you this gift and say, hey, you shut up, snake. Get out of here. I'm not entertaining you. But no, she kept listening. And apparently Adam was piqued. His interest was piqued too. And so then, look what, now this is what she said. Now, uh, keep going. Uh, And the woman said to the servant, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. Verse 3. Okay, I'll stop using that voice. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, what? You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Now, did God say that? No, God said you shall not eat of the tree. The day you eat of that fruit, you're going to eat of that tree, you surely will die. All right? This is probably Adam's rule to Eve. When he passed on the information as she came along, he says, God said, don't eat it. Matter of fact, better not even touch it, okay, Eve? So don't do it. I imagine that's Adam's rule. You, nor shall you touch it, lest, lest you die. There that's just, it sounds like she's kind of minimizing the penalty, lest you die. God said, surely you will die. All right, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, look what he says. You will not surely die. Contradiction to what God has said. Directly opposed to what God has said. Now, how did he get from that first question to this statement. Because he saw her take the bait. And when he saw that she took the bait by that subtle little thought, now Eve, boom, he goes for the jugular. You will not surely die. Still, still she had an opportunity, didn't she? Whoa, whoa, that's not what God said. Hmm? Adam, no, Nothing. Nobody stopped him. Look at the next thing that happens. For God knows. And here's what God is holding out on you. God knows on the day you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let's look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, now let me ask you a question. According to God, was the tree good for food? The tree was good for one thing, death. But now that she has entertained this thought, And she's believed the contradiction. Now she has a new imagination. Now she has a new perception of this tree. She sees it as good for food, not good for death. That it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to Adam, her husband. And what happened? He ate it too. I mean, what guy, really, in his right mind is going to refuse a naked woman with fruit juices flowing? Here, you want to buy it, Adam? I mean, oh, yeah. (laughs) Just 
Just trying to speak the truth here today. Imagination starts off thought, contradiction, imagination. Say that with me. Thought, contradiction, imagination. Thought, contradiction, imagination. This is his device. This is his scheme. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 for a moment. Interesting to me, interesting to me that God comes after this happens. There they all are in the midst of the garden. Adam, Eve, the serpent, and God, they hear God's voice. Right before that happens, Adam and Eve figure something out. Their eyes are opened. And after they, all of a sudden, new perception, right? And they go, ah! Well, we got to cover up. We got to cover up. This is not right. Something's wrong. And now, at the very end of chapter 2, the very last verse of chapter 2 says that they were both naked and they were not ashamed. Now they're naked and they're ashamed. So what do they do? Get some leaves. So they go grab these big leaves and they sew stuff together and make clothes, coverings for themselves. Think about, think about this for a moment. My wife was talking to me about this as we were actually talking over this message. She helped me see something. She said, think about what they were covering up. What were they covering up? They were covering up the places on their bodies that caused the most intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. And now it's cut off. Now it's covered. Because when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, the scripture, God said, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And that day, their spirit, the candle went out on the inside of Adam and Eve. And they began to feel that separation. And so they started acting out that separation. No longer are we going to have this kind of vulnerability with one another. No, no, no. This is shameful. Because now that I have the knowledge of good and evil, I determined that this is evil. This is what God said. God said they heard the voice of God in the garden, and Adam and Eve went and hid themselves amongst the trees. And then God calls out, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I was afraid. Watch what he says. I was afraid. I was afraid when I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. Now, why doesn't Adam say, I was afraid because I ate the fruit? He says, I was afraid because I was naked. Because now Adam, in his knowledge of good and evil, has now called good evil. He's now determined what a new evil is. And that's being naked. Not the fact that he ate the fruit. See, this is the problem with human, humankind. Is that people are just on their own deciding through the knowledge of good and evil, this is good and this is evil and this is good and this is evil. And this is, no, this is what's right for you is not right for me. What's right for me might not be right for you. And, and everybody's got all these different standards. And I, I remember years ago uh, uh, when, when, I was, when I was in high school, I loved rock and roll. I still love rock and roll guitar, but I, I mean, it, there was this age called the glam metal age. Anybody remember that? You know, and the guys would have their long hair and they'd wear spandex for clothes and makeup and, and, and see which man could hit the highest note, you know, and you always waited for that, ah! 
they hit that one certain note, or I always waited for the guitar lead, you know, just I love to hear that shredding guitar. That's something my dad passed down to me. It's something I'm trying to recover from, not going to, though. And just love all the speed metal licks on the guitar and stuff like that. And so, but, and I always wanted to play guitar like that. I always loved the way it sounded and just how fast those guys could play. Well, I had this friend named Kyle, and he, he, mastered the speed on the guitar. I mean, this kid could sit there and just do all this crazy, complicated stuff on the guitar, and I was, I was so jealous of how well he could play it, but I wasn't willing to devote the kind of time he devoted to it, for sure, because he spent hours and hours in his room. Well, I had some other friends that, start, that formed a band, and they heard about Kyle, and they thought, well, shoot, we need to get Kyle in our band, because, man, we'll be the show then. So they got, they got Kyle, and I remember the concert. They had the concert at our church, and, and this night they came together, and the band's playing along, and then, and then Kyle fires up his guitar. I remember he had this, this Marshall stack. I'll never forget it. And this awesome uh, uh, Jackson guitar. It was just a great, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who know what I'm talking about, it's a, just a look for metal. And he starts just shredding on the guitar. And as he's doing it, I've noticed something that what he's playing, what the band are playing are complete, two completely different things. Right? They're not making sense at all. Because what was good for Kyle in his bedroom was not working in the band. He had his own rhythm. He had his own way to play. But when you try to put it in the context of a group of people, it didn't, it didn't fit anymore. It was right for him, but it wasn't right for them. And this knowledge of good and evil, they sewed fig leaves together. And, you know, we continue to sew fig leaves together today. You think about it, you've probably done it without even really realizing that you were sowing fig leaves. I can remember one of the unspoken rules in church is how we hug each other. Maddie, come up here. If I'm going to abide by our man-made standards of hugging, it's going to be like this. Hey! Right? Because no way can a, a hug be seen as pure and innocent. No, 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 because there's been others who have done evil things, and so we can't even entertain that, so now we're going to say that's evil. Now we're going to say there's something wrong with that. Now we're supposed to shout, not get quiet. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. It's, so that freedom then, we get limited by our own, we get bound and limited by our own thinking because of that tree, because of that devil who deceived those who ate the tree, and now they have the knowledge that they were never born to have. They're no, no longer, it's not a knowledge of God, it's a knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. And most of the time, the focus is on what's wrong. That's evil, that's wrong, that's evil. And so whole denominations and institutions are set up on the knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. And the substance is Christ. Let's go to, um, are you okay? Let's just go to another place. Um, hmm. Let's just talk about, well, we'll go to, where are we looking? <laughs> Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. You think about it, how subtle the enemy is, because he entertain, he, he just kind of, he'll throw these thoughts out. No, we were going to 2 Corinthians 10, weren't we? Sorry. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Let's look at that for just a moment. 
Um, for the weapons of our war, though, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or not, or not fleshly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Okay, so what are these strongholds? He's going to show us. Verse 5, casting down arguments or imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What's that? Contradiction. Bringing every thought. You see it again? Imagination, contradiction, thought. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let me tell you something today. You can change the way you think. You don't have to be a victim to your own thoughts. You can change the way you think by you renewing your own mind. And you taking authority and taking thoughts captive. Just because a thought comes to your mind does not mean you have to entertain that thought. One that is against the knowledge of God. One that is destructive. One that takes you away from the goodness and, and the understanding of God's goodness in your life, that's where you say, no, 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 I'm entertaining that thought. No, I cast that thought down. That's not my thought. That's not, that's not the thoughts of God. So I take authority over that now in Jesus' name and say, no, I'm not, I'm done. You're out of here. Now, you can't cast your mind out, <laughs> but you can cast those thoughts out. I think for many believers, that's kind of a tough pill to swallow because, you know, we think about how he saved us and he freed us from all of our sin and he, we made us all new on the inside, right? We're brand new creatures on the inside. I just, you know, you think, God, why didn't you do that to my mind too? <laughs> why didn't you help me think perfectly? Because he wants you to choose. That's why you have free will. He wants you to want it for yourself. He wants you to want to know him. He wants you to think the right kinds of thoughts because he made you in his image. He didn't make you to be a robot. He made you to be like him, to have a relationship with him. And so you're going to have to take your, those thoughts captive and decide, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. And you know when that first thought comes, you've got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you that's telling you, listen to him, well, I just don't know if I can hear from God. You don't know how you can hear from God? Yes, you know how to hear from God. You might not... You might not realize that right now. Maybe you've been duped to believe that you don't know how to hear God, but you do know how to hear God. If you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, God is talking to you. His Spirit's on the inside of you. He's leading you into all truth. How do I know if it's God or not? You know! You know. You know. You know. You know there's a prompting on the inside of you. Here's the problem. The problem was that when Adam sinned, he still heard God's voice. Hello. That's, that, that wasn't the problem. He heard God's voice and said, God, I, I was afraid. You were afraid? You've never talked like that before, Adam. See, that wasn't the issue that he couldn't hear God. It was that Adam forgot how to talk to God himself. He lost that ability. Why? Because of that separation, because of that choice. It's not that you don't know how to hear God. You know how to hear God. Amen. Now, I'm it could be that you've ignored him a few times. Huh? Am I talking to the right church? Maybe not. Maybe I'm in the wrong church. All of you do it right every time. This is for other people that go to other churches, obviously. It's just ignoring those promptings, see? And if you get used to that, then it might be more difficult for you in that way. But let me just say this. There's a, there's a real easy thing to do. There's a real easy thing to do. If you've been one who's just been ignoring him and acting like what he's saying isn't important, you're going to have your way anyway. 
Just stop. Here's a revelation. Stop. And talk to him and say, Lord, I'm tired of doing it my way, and I'm sorry that I have ignored your promptings. What do you want from me? I'll do what you say. It's real simple. Selective hearing. Thoughts, contradictions. So the, the, enemy's, the enemy's subtle, though. He's subtle. He'll say things like this to you, and you've probably heard these thoughts, right? What's the big deal? What's the big deal if I do this? Is it really that big of a deal? Or how about this? There's nothing wrong with doing something for yourself from time to time. Or you deserve this. It's okay. It's not like they've never lied to you. Come on, these are subtle thoughts. Subtle peace. Or how about this? The reason that you are here is because you didn't pray enough. Or you really should pray more. Yeah, the devil will talk to you like that. He will. He likes religion. And if he can get you performing for God rather than having a relationship with him, he's totally fine with that. Yeah, go ahead and read your Bible all you want as long as you're doing it to get God's favor. Yeah, that's the right reason. That's, that's what he's going to convince you of. If I would do this and I would do this, then, then God will maybe smile on me. If I can get enough right things and the enemy's going, that's it, that's the game, go for it. Hmm? If you can determine that these disciplines are good, hmm? and this is what is going to make you holy and godly, then go for it. That's the definition of religion. Man's attempts in his own effort, in his own doing, in his own strength to be in good graces with God. And it is a lie that has swept over this planet. And it's not what God's looking for. It's all outside of his love. So he has these subtle thoughts and he can make them sound so righteous and so right. Paul says he even disguises himself as an angel of light. He'll even quote scripture to you. He quoted scripture to Jesus when he was tempting him. Hey, Jesus, he took him up on the top of the temple. He said, throw yourself down there for it's written. He'll give his angels charge over you. Oh, well, since it's in the Bible, I guess I'll throw myself off of here. Hmm? Subtle, subtle, subtle. The word for sin is hamartia. Everybody say that word, hamartia. It just, it means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. And the way that you miss the mark is many times we're painting our own targets rather than seeing what target really matters. Huh? The target is not read your Bible more, pray more. The target is to know God. Hmm? That's the, that's the point. That's the bullseye. But maybe shoot and then go paint the target around. 
There, I nailed it. <laughs> Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. I'm not going to be brought under the power of any. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Not all things build others up. Not all things help other people or even help myself. So the target is not how right I am or how free I am. The target is love. Amen. Think about it. Sewing fig leaves together, we're good at it because we've taken those subtle, subtle thoughts from the enemy and we show that by how we act and how we think and how we talk. Uh, where's Tyler? Where's my hand-holding friend? Cameron. I'll borrow Cameron. No, that's all right. I won't, I won't do him this way this service. I'll use Cameron instead. When uh, Daniel Plowman and I in 2009, somewhere around there, first year I went to India and we were doing a pastor's conference there and been there a few times and done that. We had done, I don't know, maybe several days at this conference and so now the pastor wanted to take Daniel and I show us some of the sites. So he wanted to take us to this park, this popular park that's in that area. It's got these little monuments and pretty gardens and stuff and so we get out of the car and we're walking toward this park and as I'm walking along, you're going to be me, you're just walking along. And all of a sudden, Pastor Allen, the Indian pastor, comes up beside me and does this. Right? I'm not, I'm not this, this. Right? And we're walking up, and I'm in freak-out mode, right? I'm like, first of all, how long do I have to do this? And how can I let go as quickly as possible? Okay, so I started thinking about maybe something should start itching right now so I can scratch. This is, right? And, and, and all the, 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 the thing in my country, if I'm walking around with a man like this, I'm automatically going to be seen in a certain light, right? Because men in this country don't walk around like this. Isn't this fun? Are you having fun yet? I'm having fun. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we just... We, and, and as this is going on, right, and I, I'm, I'm feeling terribly awkward, and it's getting worse, and after some time goes, okay, we can stop now, all right, thank you, you're awesome, <laughs> hopefully. But all of a sudden, I, I started feeling guilty and ashamed of myself and how I think, missing this intimacy and the beauty and the innocence between brothers because I sewed fig leaves together and said, that's evil because I let my culture determine to me that that's evil. You see how subtle these things work? How the enemy has got us playing these religious games of what is good and what is evil and missing out on the true freedom that we have in our God, which is a relationship with Yahweh. 
open all, the scripture says, all of us are naked. All things are open to him whose eyes are looking at us with whom we have to do. I, you can sow whatever you want to. God can see right through all of it. Isn't it interesting that Adam did not, even when God showed up and he had sewed those fig leaves together, that when the voice came walking, that what Adam do? He went and ran behind more trees because he knew just how frail that was in the sight of this God anyway. And this all might work with other people, but you ain't fooling God and you know it. Hmm? All right, let's go to another place. Just, can you give me a couple more minutes? Colossians chapter 2, watch this. Therefore, verse 20, therefore you died with Christ. If you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, whose principles are these? The world's principles. Why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Oh, Lord, help us. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Wait, what, what principles are these? Are these God's principles or are these the world's principles? Do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. Hmm? So we make up our own rules. We make up our own sins. Don't drink, don't chew, don't dance with the girls that do. Hmm? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Watch, verse 22, here we go. Which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Men making up their own sins. Men making up their own rules. Verse 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Oh, we look good in front of everybody else though. If we can just announce how humble we are. And how holy we are by what we abstain from. And the rules that we keep. and hmm? These have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion false humility, and neglect of the body that are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, God sees right through it. You ought to really, and, and this, this, you should, you should question, I, I'm convinced we should question everything that we do according to Scripture. Question everything that you do. Hmm? Question everything that you do. If it doesn't line up with the scripture, get it out of your life. Period. Like fasting, for instance. I don't have time to go into that. I'll do that another time. Maybe you should ask your question. If you, if, I don't, if you, one who regularly fasts, maybe ask why you do it. Good question. Because God said the fast that he requires, that, that pleases him, is one where you reach out and touch and help others. That's the fast he looks for. First Timothy chapter 4. I'm almost through. It's only an hour and 20 minutes. When I was a kid, two and a half hours was a normal church. Of course, that was when I was a kid. That's, that's, Pastor, that's over now. Okay. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. What does doctrines of demons, what kind of imagery comes to your mind with that thought? Hmm? Doctrines of demons. Do you think of like pentagrams, right? People dressed in all black, witches, 
crystals, I don't know what, anyway, curses and all that stuff. You think of like doctrines of demons, blood, fangs, I don't know. Now the Spirit expressly says that in a lot of times some will depart from faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Look at this, verse 2. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. We'll come back to that. Verse 3. Forbidding to marry, wait, this is a doctrine of demons, and commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. The doctrine of demons looks a little bit like the doctrines of men. Forbidding to marry. In other words, nobody needs to have that intimate relationship. Commanding to abstain from foods. Abstain from foods which God created to be received. Wow. Go back to verse 2. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. I started looking at that, and I was thinking about what does that mean if somebody's conscience is seared with a hot iron? My, my first inclination was to think this is a person who is unfeeling when it comes to the things of God. This is a person who is completely turned on, turned themselves from God. I mean, they've cut off, they've cauterized themselves. That's what that word is. The Greek word behind it is katarizo or something like that. It means to cauterize, hot iron. I think of them, they, they reprobate, reprobate. They're, they're on. Willing and unable to be redeemed. They've been cut. That's not what it's talking about, though. <laughs> Having their own conscience here with a hot iron. This is what it means. To mark by branding, whose souls are branded with the marks of sin, who carry about with them the perpetual consciousness of sin. So these are those who only emphasize now remember these are doctrines of demons they emphasize sin and its power over grace and its power sin consciousness so they, they identify everything there's something wrong all the time in this kind of thinking there's something wrong that's what religion is it's just this constant there's something wrong with you and you need to fix it there's something wrong with you. You need to fix it. You need to feel guilty. You need to feel ashamed. It's this constant barrage of guilt and shame. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. So we all hold up our hands and go, yeah, with this false humility. We're all sinners saved by grace. Just this false. It's a lie. Everything's about sin and the condition of sin rather than all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Well, that's not the whole story. That's part of the story. But God demonstrated his own love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Having forgiven us all trespasses, by grace are you saved through faith. Hallelujah. It is not our place. This is the place. My family... I have a friend named Ed Trout. Y'all remember Ed Trout who came and ministered at a prophetic conference? The man is just a, a marvelous man and, and marvelous gift that's on his life in prophecy. And I heard this story just the other day. He was in a church. I can't remember where this church was. And he's prophesying over people. And he gets to a man and begins to talk to him about how God sees his heart, that it's a pure heart. And God is pleased with his heart, how pure and the integrity that's in the man's heart. 
And so after he gets done with the service, the pastor takes him back to his office. He says, hey, Ed, that was good, you know, a lot of the ministry you did. But I got to tell you, there's one guy here. You totally missed that, missed it with him. He said, do you remember the guy that you were talking about having this pure heart and heart of, of integrity? And Ed said, yeah. He goes, let me tell you about this. I mean, this man just left his wife. He had an adulterous affair. He moved out of his house and moved in with the woman that he's having an affair with. And you said, this man has a pure heart, and this is what God said about him, and that this is a man that's got integrity in his heart. I'm sorry, Ed, you missed it. And Ed said, hmm, maybe so. But the, back, the, the, the other side of that story is, just a little while later, Ed gets information about that man. And I don't know if it was the pastor or somebody else that contacted him and said, the man that you gave that word to about having a heart that was full of integrity and a pure heart, he said that word so gripped him that he went back to his house where he's living with his lover and he got all of his stuff and he went home, got on his knees and begged his wife to forgive him and she forgave him and she took him back and their marriage is being restored right now. So while the church was pointing their fingers at this man, God was looking at something else. God was looking at a heart, not the fig leaves. We're not in the business of pointing our fingers at other people here. We're not at the business of judging one another and comparing ourselves and what your fig leaves look like compared to my fig leaves. We don't have the right to do that. This place is a voice of hope. This place is a voice of love. This place is a voice of grace. This place is a voice of restoration and healing and another chance. This is what I want us to bring to this world. Where one word from God can bring somebody out of the muck and the mire of sin and failure and put them on their feet and cause them to walk with hope again. These schemes and these wiles and these devices of the devil that come in to get us start pointing our finger at each other while the devourer is circling. Waiting for his opportunity. It God's people fighting amongst ourselves. How can the world have any hope if God's own people won't get along? If we keep judging those who are coming into our place by what they look like, by what they act like, what they smell like, by what they say. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how. You ought to answer every man. Lastly, the woman was caught in adultery. Caught in adultery. Caught in the act. I mean, they came in. They staged it. They set her up. These Pharisees broke in, kicked in the door. And they, there's a man and woman in the act of adultery. They grabbed the woman. Didn't grab the man. They grabbed the woman. They dragged her down the streets naked. And they take her into, take her right up to the temple where Jesus is. And they throw her at his feet. And they say, the law says. She needs to be stoned for what she's done. Now we got you. What do you say? 
friend of mine years ago said, I would have said, where's the dude? It could take two. The scripture says Jesus knelt down and started doodling in the dirt. Can you imagine like, seriously? He just starts writing in the dirt. The scripture didn't say what he was writing. I don't know what he was writing. But he agreed with them. You're right. Yeah. Whoever's without sin, go for it. One by one, they walked off. Now think about this. Here she is, caught in the act, laying there at Jesus' feet. Vulnerable, ashamed, embarrassed, no doubt. And Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? And she looks up and she sees that nobody's there except her and him. I have none, Lord. He said, neither do I, I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Now, I want you to notice something. She, she has not apologized to him. She's not confessed her sin. She's, she, I'm sorry, please forgive me. None of that. He offered no condemnation without confession of sin. Where are your accusers? The only thing he wanted her to uh, confess was there was nobody there to condemn her. And the only one that actually had the right to condemn was this sinless man, and he chose not to throw the rock. He could have, and rightfully could have, but he didn't. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In other words, you are free now from this. You are now empowered because of this grace that has come to you to live above sin. Go and prove this. Wow. And that woman went away free. So that you and I don't get caught up in thinking, I have to do this, 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 in order for God. When he's already stood and said, neither do I condemn you. Now you can perform right. Not because you're repentant, but because I'm forgiving. Because I give grace. Because I love you. That's how you'll live right. And let's keep it that way, huh? Let's stand together. Father, thank you for this beautiful day that you have made. And we rejoice today. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that we have in this wonderful relationship with our God to awaken to righteousness and sin not, to not become victims to the devil's schemes and plots and traps, but to, Lord, not get caught up in a religious game and not think so much of ourselves that we can determine what is good and evil. Oh, God, we don't want that life. We want life in you and that alone. We want the freedom that we have in Jesus who took away all of our sins and it's reasonable now that we offer up ourselves as living sacrifices to him.
who offered up his whole body to us. Lord, help us to renew our minds to this truth that God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And that accuser is out there. What's he doing? He's imputing our trespasses continually. That's not your voice. That's not your thinking. That's not your way. No, 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 no. You reckoned all that on Jesus. You imputed our trespasses to him. He took the blame. Now we stand holy and righteous and blameless because of him not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for salvation that we have in Christ. And it's free. It's free. It's not even cheap. It's free. Thank you for that. Thank you that Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again the third day. And by believing that message, putting our faith in Jesus, that brings us into a full, right relationship with God. And now daily we walk by faith because that's the only thing that pleases you. Help us, God, to shun religious tendencies, mindsets, and to pull down these strongholds and say, you're not going to dominate my thinking. You're not going to dominate my life anymore. I'm not sowing another fig leaf together. Thank you, Father. Lord, let love abound amongst us. That when we see a brother or sister that has fallen, that we don't step on them while they're down, but we offer a hand and we come up under that burden with them and we help them get restored. And we walk with them step by step, encouraging and bringing one another toward restoration and healing and encouraging and stirring one another up to good works. In the name of Jesus. Bless your people. Bless your people. Bless your people now. Those who have been bound by these strongholds today, they'll be set free in Jesus' name. Those who have been encircling the same thing over and over and over again, the same sick cycle of failure and get up and failure and get up and failure and get up. Today, they get free from that because they take the grace of God. Stop depending on themselves. Stop depending on their own godly efforts. But simply believe you, God. And that faith will cause them to rise above. And to live in the reality of your holiness. Because it is faith that has dressed us in holiness. Faith in Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Now, when you go from here, Jeremiah's going to come, Pastor Jeremiah's going to come and dismiss you, but when you go from here, I want you to go thinking reconciliation, thinking restoration, thinking love, thinking how can I help somebody? How can I speak hope into someone's life? All right? And be ready to do that above anything else. That's what will change this world. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.